Okay, welcome back to another segment, um, another podcast of All About Reality, episode 13. Very lucky today to have a close personal friend of mine, someone I've known for a really long time um, since our college days at Miami University of Ohio. And that is Mark Pesavento, the Vice President of Digital Content for, for NFL Media. Um, Mark has a long history of work, working in sports, starting at the LA Times um, on, on their sports side, um, Yahoo Sports uh, as well, USA Today created for the win there, um, Fox Sports Digital. And now um, Mark has been at the NFL for, you know, since the beginning of, of 2018. Uh, very happy to have you on. Mark, welcome. It's great to be here, guys. Thank you for having me on the show. I love that I get to be able to talk trash to you, Goody. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now you get a, a national audience um, to talk trash to me. First off, where can folks find you on Twitter? Folks can find me at Mark Pesavento. That's Mark with a K and Pesavento is P-E-S-A-V-E-N-T-O. And then I have my venerable co-host Luke Patrick on as well, always, to ask the insightful questions that I can't think of. Listen, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to hear Mark uh, dance on your proverbial fantasy grave a little bit. It's good for it's good for all of us that enjoy and revel in your agony. Happy to have you, Mark. Good evening. Yeah. You may regret this, but uh, I am happy to be here. Yeah, I I know I may regret this. I mean, Luke is getting up there with with trades and things with me too, and in, in the writers' league. So I feel like I have two of my biggest rivals here to like swarm me like a bunch of woo killer bees. So um, it, th- this will definitely be fun, though. Mark, Mark, let's talk a little bit about the NFL working there. Um, you know, some some key initiatives you're getting into. I know you you've been there, a, you know, a short period of time, and you're you're still kind of drinking from the fire hose, so to speak. Um, but w- let's talk about talk about what what got you there, and, and and some of the key things that you're excited to be working on right now. So um, I'm the VP of digital content at the NFL. So that essentially means. My job is to oversee all the content that gets created and distributed across both our social channels and our owned and operated properties, which would include NFL.com and and the app. Uh, It's a fairly broad role, but my specific areas of focus are in a couple different buckets that I can outline. Uh, Social media, which is basically defining our programming strategy across Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and YouTube. Uh, I oversee social content, a couple pieces there was our social lab. We actually have a, a room filled with uh, really talented people who just crank out uh, engaging graphic content, everything from infographics to GIFs, etc. cetera. Um, we have, uh, as part of our social content portfolio, we have a program called Live Content Correspondence. Uh, that's LCC is what we call it for short. That essentially is a network of freelancers in every NFL market that we give a, a phone and a DSLR cam- camera to, and we give them the highest level of access and we send them to every game and they are there essentially capture really awesome social content that we distribute through our league club and player channels so that, you know, they're literally standing on the sideline when a touchdown catch is made or when there's like, a cool post-game moment in midfield, if it's a jersey swap or whatever, guys are right there with a phone shooting that content and then immediately uploading it and sending it back to our producers that we can create even more content around. Um, I oversee a program called Players Social, which is our initiative to connect directly to our players so that we can send them content for distribution on their social channels. We have about 500 players in the program right now uh, some of the notables would include Jalen Ramsey, Christian McCaffrey, Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, um, various others. Um, and I have a product called the Checkdown, which is really sort of the, it's a football call and that really focuses on the social conversation around the game, uh, memes, gifts, videos, etc. Really the thing that ties together everything I've just talked about, the social lab, the LCC program and, and player social. So that's kind of the social content bucket. Then I oversee production, which is everything from original productions created by our team of producers to fielding pitches from outside production companies, green lighting those productions, and then managing the process with those producers from start to finish. So um, 
for example, on the original side, we have uh, we are just now kind of getting into live digital only shows. We have several in development. We have one existing currently, which is being produced exclusively for Twitter. Um, we also do sort of VOD or taped segments with network talent. We do creative packaging of highlights. We, we just actually did a, an original series called Destination Dallas with Aaron Rodgers, Josh Rosen. For draftees as they navigate the pre-draft process. And Aaron was on a sort of a consultant to help guide the young players through that process and particularly around Josh Rosen and, and kind of mentoring him. Uh, I also our podcasts. We do personality driven, I would say like topical news analysis. So something happens and then our analysts talk about it. So that's the production bucket. Um, I also see oversee, I oversee programming, which essentially means putting the right piece of content in front of the right user at the right time. So we think very specifically about what our fans on various platforms are looking for on our own properties. You know, that's .com, that, those are our apps, that's connected TV. Those are really hardcore fans that want football stuff. They, 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 they will really eat up as much at football X's and O's as we can give them. And then on social, as I sort of described with the checkdown, it's really a broader audience. They want to know more about the players. They want us to we call taking the helmet off players, getting to know them, humanize them. Um, one sort of great example of that is uh, um, when Juju Smith-Schuster lost his bike this year. I don't know if you guys remember that back in I think, October. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we yeah. created A Football Life as a documentary show that we do on NFL Network that sort of is the definitive take on a player's career. We did a, a football life mockumentary about Juju's bike and posted that to our social channels. And as I said, Juju's in our player social program. So we were able to send that content directly to Juju for him to post on his channels. Engagement on that content was, was insane. Like if a decent big social account engages between one and 5%, let's say that piece of content, Google on uh, Juju's channels engaged at 33%. So that means that basically that, you know, one of every three people who even saw that in their feed played the video, liked it or shared it or retweeted it or whatever. So that, you know, that's how we think about sort of the holistic nature of, of programming. And then we have a group of what I call cross-platform strategy, which is really like how do we create content concepts that can live across our various touch points? We have a group that thinks across the group so that we're connecting as sort of a connective tissue so that we're all talking to each other and we're thinking really big about our opportunities. Uh, we're working on uh, an idea now pegged to pregame that if we can get this idea cleared, I think can be really cool, a really awesome thing for our fans. We've been piloting, uh, piloting it this off season and we're really waiting on clearance um, internally to be able to launch this and bring it to the masses. Uh, really excited about that opportunity. So uh, those are my strict areas of responsibility, but I also have some, what I would call ancillary uh, duties, like working with league coworkers to amplify our marketing campaigns. Uh, you know, the NFL is very active in charitable causes like Salute to Service, which is our year-round effort to honor the military. Uh, my cause, my cleats, which is where players can wear special cleats that highlight their charitable causes. Uh, Cru Crucial Catch, which is a cancer awareness campaign. So we work, you know, we take all the things that I talked about in content creation and social media, and we, we, we build content that supports those campaigns. And then I also work with outside partners like Verizon, Stable of Brands, Complex, Yahoo, and others. Uh, to create engaging NFL content for their audiences. So it doesn't even really have to do with what we're doing on our properties. That's kind of the scope of what I do. Uh, I'm, I'm really lucky to be able to do this. Like I'm a football fan, you guys are, and I just got really, you know, lucky and, and fortunate that, um, that this opportunity arose. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I do truly feel it every day that I get to do the thing I'm passionate about. So feel lucky there. Mark, I don't know where to begin, but man, that is uh, fascinating. I just, I just have this mental image of you 
on like a giant trampoline, like bouncing <laughs> like, with like all these balls in the air and all these like like Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster just high-fiving you all the time. But nonetheless, in all of candor, I, it, you do seem to live at the intersection of what we love in the fantasy football world. Um, yeah. Like the kind of nerdy um, outreach and interaction, seeing guys underneath the helmet, as you say, and but like like actually an actual deep care and concern for the game and how it's played and what's done. And you play it too, and you love it too. So, um, do you have any highlights for us in terms of those interactions that that the guys on the ground, like Goody and I, might not have? Like, have you had like a favorite moment with a player or something yet at the NFL while you've been there? That's a great, great question. Uh, I just last week we had our talent summit, which is where all the network talent from around the country uh, gathers for an offsite meeting where. We talk about the various things that the network is doing, that digital is doing, et cetera. And I gave a quick presentation to um, to a, to the room, uh, which, you know, as I was looking out at this podium in the front rows, like Michael Irvin and Kurt Warner, and I was just like <laughs> freaking out, you know, like this is not That's awesome. normal. I don't even know like how else to, ca- to categorize it. It's just like, never had to do that before where the whole front row was like gold jackets. And I remember after, you know, I talked to them about some of the stuff I just talked to you about. And uh, I had a player, um, it was actually Steve Smith approached afterwards and said, I love the check down. I had no idea that the NFL did the check down. I just think it's hilarious. I think it's funny. And I was like, you know, that's mission accomplished. That's the reason that we launched the check down with no real obvious NFL branding is we just wanted people to enjoy the content and not worry about, is this coming from the shield? Where's this, you know, what are the motivations? Honestly, we just wanted to put out cool NFL content and we felt like we needed a sub brand to do that. And to hear that feedback from, you know, frankly, like one of my fantasy football heroes, Steve <laughs> Smith, um, you know, I was thinking in that moment, I really wanted to like do a selfie with him and get him to tell good up ice up son maybe uh maybe one of these days steve and i will have that relationship yeah that's something that you know i, I was lucky enough like last week I, I was in la and and mark and i spent a good amount of time together and and we got a tour of the facilities and it was really cool to see the stages and, and just kind of how how things work um you know with, with the with the different sets and then you know the news desk and everything and you know, I was on my flight back and we were, I, my son and I were watching, you know, TV on there and they had a breaking news and it was exactly where my son was sitting, you know, took a picture um, where they were kind of talking through the, the NFL events of, of the day. And, and, and so, so it's, it's tangible and, and obvi- you know, obviously when the, when the stadium's complete, their offices will be there. And it was just a really cool experience. What One thing that behind the scenes that I really like is that there's a, a goalpost like in the middle of the office area. And, and so, <laughs> I, I mean, speaking of Steve Smith, like I, I really want to see him like slide down that pole in his suit like, like he did, like, you know, when he was on the Panthers. I, I mean, that was my all-time favorite celebration. And yeah. I mean, Antonio Brown tried to replicate it and just didn't work out so well. So, yeah, no, it's, it, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And, and um, I, I mean, one thing that we haven't necessarily talked about here is, um, fantasy and and so I, I I think you gleaned over like you talk where all your intersection is but fa- fantasy is something that's part of your purview as well is it not yes yes it is um, fantasy is something I'm deeply passionate about uh, I'm frankly in disbelief that I get to set the strategy for fantasy at the NFL um, not from a product perspective but from a content one and um, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about the opportunities in front of us with fantasy. Uh, and, you know, it, it happens to be a passion of mine. And so I get to work with these guys on creating the kind of content that as a fan, I would want to consume. Right. And can you talk a little bit kind of part and parcel with that? And, and just not even just from a fantasy perspective, but, you know, you, you, you have some access to some data at the NFL that I think that... <laughs> You know, others don't necessarily see in the form of the next gen stats. And can you talk? Can you talk about like what, like what you see there and the content that you think you know is is helpful to people, that, like both from a fancy and real world perspective, in basically analyzing this game that we love so much. Both you know 
football, you know, football and what leads to productivity on the field as well as productivity on the fantasy field? Yeah, good question. So, you know, we have this amazing resource uh, with Next Gen Stats. We actually have an entire research group here that mines those statistics for interesting nuggets that we can make content out of. Um, those guys are so talented and smart and always anticipate the thing that an on-air talent or even just an executive like me would want to know so that we can create better content, better analysis, et cetera. One of the things, you know, personally, one of the, the stats that I like to look at is ARIAR. Um, I feel like that's one that can help identify um, receivers who might not have popped yet. Like, they're getting the opportunities, but maybe haven't racked up the points. And I feel like that's a way to perhaps identify some undervalued assets, um, you know, before the general public does. I, I, Air, Air Yards is not uh, unique to the NFL. I know there are others that have it, but if we talk kind of next generation statistics that I like to utilize for fantasy purposes, that's definitely one. Yeah, the, the idea of a predictive statistic like that is is music to many of our listeners' ears. And Mark, how would you, like, as more and more of these responsibilities fall on your shoulders, what part of your mental bandwidth is, is dedicated to the kind of creation of content in the fantasy sphere? So, like, like you, you, you're doing a lot. Like, when I look out to my front row, it's not gold jackets. It is... It is teenagers barely listening to me when I talk about philosophy. So, so what are what are we talking there? What, how much of your mind is dedicated to this sort of thing? Yeah, well, currently it's quite a lot. Um, we're approaching season kickoff. Uh, we're about I don't know three and a half, four weeks away from camps opening, and this is key time for fantasy signups for people to sort of reengage with this that we all love and. Uh, so I'm, I'm spending a lot of my time right now uh, actually thinking specifically about what content, not just that we want to create, but what do we want to create in the next year? What are the, what are the products, the content products we can create? You know, we, I have a really talented editorial team, like I'm sitting in news meetings telling them what to write or not write. What I try to do is build like systemic uh, things for them to work within, so, like Take the checkdown, for example, which is a is a content product. I don't tell our content creators what to do every day. I'm I'm not close enough to that level of operation. But what I want to do is create the products that really talented people get to fill with content every day that users will love. So that's kind of where I focus on is how do we how do what are the containers? What are the ways in which we create and package content for our users? more so than like, what are the, like, was that a great lead? Or did you, you should have had that nugget in the third paragraph instead of the fifth. Like, that's not so much what I do as much as like picture. Okay, yeah, which is which is probably a change from some of your editorial days where maybe you did do more, more of that, right? Oh, for sure, I've spent countless hours um, reading story, you know, stories and generating story ideas and cleaning up copy and wrestling over grammar in sentences. And so, you know, I feel like all of that stuff really, you know, as you progress through your career, anyone in their career, I feel like it's important to hit the steps of the ladder. I feel like if you get pushed up that ladder too quickly and you skip steps, you don't understand how the sausage gets made so that when you become, you're at an executive level and you have to think really broadly and you have to have a much wider aperture than you ever had in any other position that you actually have the ability to do that because you know what those steps are that lead up to that, that destination. And so like you understand how work gets done from, you know, the entry level intern all the way up to the person running the newsroom. <laughs> we got life advice being dropped on us by Mark Casavenda. I think, <laughs> I think there's a lot of truth to that there, right? Like one of my buddies, his family owns a major fortune 500 company. And when he started to work for the company his his father made him literally do every job in the company company from like yeah. sweeping the floors to like, to being a salesperson. It was pretty fascinating to watch his progression over years of doing all those jobs. So, yeah. One thing that, that I didn't know that the NFL does and they, they have this program for days where they send an NFL employee to every single game 
and they have that employee grade literally everything about the fan experience from how easy to, to is it to Uber to the game, to the game? How easy is it to get through the security line? Uh, how long is the wait at the concessions? Is the quality of food up to par? Is the music, you know, does it add to the vibe or whatever? Like they grade every single thing about the fan experience at every single game. And they're not like interns to do this. They're sending, you know, executives so that they stay connected to the fabric of, you know, what really is what, what leads up to the thing you see on Sunday. Uh, I, fe- I feel bad for whoever drew the Cleveland part of that straw. You know, being, being a Browns fan, and between the weather and the product on the field, I don't think there's any way you could put positive vanilla frosting on what we've seen take place on, on the field You know, in the last well, couple of years. You know, we love all our children in the NFL, <laughs> but uh, I think suffice to say the Browns may not be first among equals. Right, exactly. And can you talk – so – you've kind of given us a peek under the curtain of some of the behind the scenes stuff at the, at the NFL with, you know, an employee reviewing kind of the, the fan experience, for instance, talking about that there's freelance, there's a freelancer who's kind of capturing these moments for teams and stuff like are, are these, these are jobs that I, I assume all the nerdy RSO GMs would, you know, jump and do it, do in a heartbeat. Like, I don't know if there's requisite experience required, but just, you know, you don't have to commit to anything, but if you do learn of openings of these, like we'll definitely, we'd like to tweet that to our, our user base. Cause I, I think that's yeah. something that's interesting. For sure. I'll, I'll feed you that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of the RSO side of things and speaking of not being first among equals, rumor has it uh, in the off air conversation, Mark, you've, you've, basically kept Goody under your tutelage for years now. You keep beating him in in RSO leagues. And so um, (laughs) now that we know a little bit about your big picture executive experience, um, I think my question for you is how much of the game do you like looking at at that like 100,000 foot level, like the big time strategy? And how much of it do you like getting into the contract extensions or the minutia of adding a, a, another second round pick to a trade? Uh, which side of the game do you prepare, prefer? Do you prefer all of it? And, and how does that play out in your, your relationship with one of your best buddies here? That's a great question. I, I actually really enjoy both sides, but I think, I think you have to have a strategy and I'm happy to talk about what my strategy is, even as I'd be handing the playbook to my, uh, my rival, Mr. Goodwin. Um, but I also think that you need to have an appreciation for the details because I think that th- that really is like the extra 10% that separates you from someone is like your ability to sort of separate signal from noise, you know, and, figuring out which thing, which pieces of information are actually valuable and which are just clutter. Yeah. I mean, kind of talking about your resume here, you, you've won three, three of five in, in a pretty competitive, you know, 12, 12 team league with, you know, I've talked about it before, very dynamic scoring. And you and I spent a lot of time in kind of creating a system that we thought as both a scoring system, player contracts, et cetera, that we thought really mimicked, and value on the NFL field, i.e. quarterbacks, if they take sacks, it's ne- negative points, yeah. negative five for interceptions or, or fumbles, um, you know, a lot of that. So um, kind of not necessarily talking, giving advice to people who have never played the game, but like what are, what are your biggest pieces of advice, like from a strategic decision perspective um, that, that you have, you know, for, for our RSO fan base, I guess? You mean as far as setting up a league or as far as like, like, like anything? I mean, I, I would say more, you know, kind of ma- managing, a, managing a team, I would say, but more so than, than setting up a league. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just sort of outline for you how, how I approach it. And, you know, to give some context, the league that you and I play in Matt is, is the league that I'd always dreamed of being, you know, I wanted a game where, build a team over many years and that you you took a long-term view that you had contracts and those contracts had ramifications positive or negative um we i wanted a scoring system that reflected it was really more like more value score like um 
or a score of how well a player did in a game versus, you know, a lot of fan, uh, standard fantasy leagues, which you get six points for over the goal line and you maybe get four or five points for like a hundred yard performance. Right. And I just felt like that was not indicative of player performance. It wasn't indicative of an owner's talent. And I felt like I wanted to, to build the kind of league that we could grow over years. And that also was, I think a little more closely correlated to the value these players were bringing to the game. I mean, I, it's definitely not perfect, but I think it it was an attempt to replicate, um, you know, uh, sort of, I guess, in terms of like what that means is like, um, you know, we're not very touchdown heavy. Um, we, you get a lot more points for yards, for catches, for, for, I would say performance as opposed to um, who was the lucky one who scored the touchdown. Um, and so I'm happy with where we netted out from the scoring system point of view. Uh, and then as far as like, you know, what I try to do when I'm approaching managing my team, there's a, there's a couple things. One, I would say, and you, I don't know how you feel about this, Matt, but I, I tend to go stars and scrubs. I tend to build around a nucleus of players that I know will set a high floor. So, um, Matt, last year you remember in our and there was an epic moment where Antonio Brown, who was just coming off a contract with my team, went back into the auction, and me and another owner, Brian Styers, got in a crazy bidding war for Antonio. And what did it wind up at? Four years and, and, and probably about like two forty ish. Yeah, four years, like two hundred forty million, and it was just me and him, probably for the last hundred million of that, honestly. And my thinking was. This guy is as close to bulletproof as possibly have. Phenomenal shape. He plays in a great offense. He's super productive. He's healthy. He's going to be the cornerstone of my team. Now, I lost that auction. I finally threw in the towel when we got to about $250 million. Um, 243.5 specifically. There you go, 243.5. But I hung in all the way to that point, even though all the other owners in the chat were like, these guys are crazy. They don't know what they're doing. I felt like this is completely rational. Like this guy, I could probably go out and find three or four startable players who at a very low price, but I cannot Antonio Brown on the open market. I won't be able to trade for him. He's going to be gone. If, if you want to buy that blue stock, this is your chance. So even though I didn't win him, I felt like I'm willing to take some of those chances uh, and then elsewhere. So what I mean by that is I'm probably more of a pro RB um, owner. I don't, it's not that I don't value running backs, but I try to spend as few resources as possible to acquire them. Um, as you know, you know, I traded uh, Martavis Bryant and a late first round pick. Todd Gurley, uh, when Gurley was coming off kind of a down year, um, that to me was an RB zero kind of move, like take a lost shot at a pretty good talent that I thought had a good chance of rebounding. I certainly didn't know that he was going to go as crazy as he did. I tend to like, whereas I will put a ton of money on Antonio Brown, I would not on a running back. Um, I feel like they're, you know, their lifespan is a little more limited um, and it just, it feels riskier. Um, so in addition to zero RB, I also try to find undervalued players through trades and in the draft. So in addition to Gurley, you know, you remember I traded for Odell Beckham in his rookie season when he was coming on hamstring pull and then he made a couple good games. And I think his owner felt like this was a sell high situation that um, he could leverage that early success and that a rookie wide receiver could not maintain this pace. I actually disagreed with his athleticism and what was pretty good production in a pretty, frankly, you know, subpar LSU offense. And then I think you also have to be okay with some amount of risk. Like last year, I traded for Devontae Adams in our league. He's got some concerns. I understand that. But at the time I acquired him, he was considered a wide receiver two or three but he had just been signed by his owner to a long-term extension at a pretty good price. You know, to what I thought might happen with Jordy. Jordy was hurt at the time, but I thought there was a chance he might come back to 
Okay. Randall Cobb hasn't been much for a few years. And, you know, like there's, pl- there's three or four years left on Adams's contract and this could still go bad, but it was like the kind of risk that I would gladly take. And I would say like, uh, you know, knowing your league scoring system has an impact too. finding undervalued players. Um, I had the, the Jacksonville defense this year and I more for them than an owner typically would. Um, and of course, again, I didn't know that they were going to go crazy, but I figured that they had so many good athletes on that defense and that they, you know, a very good defense in our league can score like an elite quarterback. And, you know, when you get a defense for 2.5 million that can score like, you know, Aaron Rodgers, um, I feel like is, you know, that a gamble you want to take. And then, you know, when I look at the sort of last prong of player acquisition, the draft, I don't know if this is contrarian or not, but I try to be disciplined about taking talent situation. You know, situations can change I feel like talent lives on. So I try to focus on sort of the process of analyzing a player. I pay attention to things like dominator ratings, right? So what percentage offense did this player account for? Um, athleticism, like spark generally, but I also pay attention to more position-specific drills, like three-cone time running backs correlates highly to success. So you might look for a late-round running back that has that sort of good three-cone. Um, I also pay attention to age and age-adjusted production. So Allen Robinson was probably my best draft pick. I grabbed him in the second round. Uh, Matt Harmon certainly informed my analysis with his glowing write-up and reception perception. <laughs> But that really was just the icing on the cake. I, you know, once Matt, me, sort of crystallized that the routes could be there, then that, that was the final piece because I already knew that he was extremely productive in college. He was an elite athlete. He had broken out at a super young age and sustained it, and that he was going to be essentially like a 20-year-old NFL rookie. Um, and, and, and that's just an advanced you know, that's an advanced prospect, even though the, again, back to talent over situation, situation, I think people was terrible, but I was betting on the talent. Um, I had a similar experience last year with Chris, who I desperately love, but I only had one pick, which I used on Deontay Foreman. It was also a prospect I was very high on. Um, unfortunately he blew out, uh, but that's another reason you use second rounders on, on running backs. And I tend to not use firsts. Uh, when God went undrafted, though, I was seriously relieved. I mean, I put a premium on signing him to a cheap four-year in the auction. You know, he went into a similar situation as A-Rob did, and it's back to our talent over situation for me, though. It was a crowded wide receiver situation in Tampa. Um, but because he had broken out early and was very productive at Penn State and posted incredible athletic scores and Pat Harmon's reception perception test, I really felt good about him sort of a lottery ticket. So this is sort of what I mean by like low is like locking in those elite talents like Antonio Brown types and then also looking for gold in places where you just wouldn't expect to be able to find it. So let's let's talk about the painting for gold first. You guys are out there on the West Coast where there's more of that to be found. But like Mark, are you when you so let's talk about two players that you could potentially love by the metrics and by the data that you just put out there. So Godwin is a fast riser in ADP this year. He's becoming a darling of the fantasy community online. And then you have DJ Moore, the rookie. Yeah. Of the two of them, like both of them have like excellent like workout metrics. I have like, I think similar team situations where they could break out, but they have some, they have some established and great players standing in the way of targets to them. Yeah. Which one of those two are you, are you going to advise our listeners to like kind of push all in on? Because I think you could acquire them for fairly similar prices at this point. Yeah. That's a great question. And I have the second pick in our rookie draft and, and Matt is sitting right behind me with two picks in the top five. And so, you know, it's a little weird for me sitting here about to give away the secret sauce, but I am in love with DJ Moore. I think he is probably the best wide receiver prospect we've seen in the last, I don't know, 10-ish years by a metric standpoint. I'm not saying that he is going to be the best receiver you've ever seen. I'm saying from a metrics and athleticism standpoint, the indicators are there that he could be an elite, elite player. Again, I don't know if it's going to happen, but if I'm trusting process over outcome and my process says he broke out early, 
He's highly, highly productive, accounted for over 50% of Maryland's air yards or um, receiving yards, as I recall, and um, is an elite athlete on a team where, you know, Funchess has an expiring contract. He's got one more year with the team. Um, and frankly, I don't think he's a big obstacle anyway. You could see Greg Olson, who knows what's going to happen with his uh, near term future. I think even though it might look like more um, doesn't have a great situation. I think the, I think it's a lot better than people think. That's awesome. And, and before I turn you over to Goody to bring us home, well, I have the, the, the director of, uh, of digital programming at the NFL sitting in front of me. When you talk about stars and scrubs, I want to talk to you about two stars and reveal a little RSO data to you and, and let you pick a, pick a door too here. Um, we are looking at data that says a franchise tag for someone like DeAndre Hopkins would cost your team $41 million for a season. And a franchise tag for someone like Ezekiel Elliott would cost more like $23 million. Given like a normal PPR scoring league, which of those two stars would you prefer? Like, And obviously you don't know a lot about team constitution, but just in a vacuum, would you build around DeAndre Hopkins or would you build around Zeke? Well, my history would say I build around Hopkins. Um, I tend to make my premium investments in wide receiver, try to um, try to find less expensive uh, ways to get by. One thing I will say about Elliott in this situation is, A, not only is he significantly cheaper than Hopkins, but B, you're, you're making – you have optionality, right? You, you have – I guess two, if not three franchise years, um, depending on your league's rules and you can go year by year. So if Zeke, if Zeke blows out after a year, you're not, you're not screwed as opposed to him being on a long-term expensive contract. So I think to answer this specific question, I would take Zeke just because you're mitigating risk on a, on an elite player on a very good contract, in my opinion. Uh, and then again, you have that optionality. You can keep them. You can trade them. It, it gives you flexibility. You're not locked in. So I would probably say Zeke. Thank you, brother. All right, Mr. Goodwin, what do you got for us? Uh, well, kind of f- first couple things, Luke. I'm sure taking inventory that that analysis probably more more validates DJ Moore, your pick of DJ Moore at 1.06 in our in our writers' league than any that we've had thus far. Even though guys like Harmon and Waldman were pretty high on them as, as well. Interesting. That's I think the first time I've gotten under the hood a little bit on who Mark, you know, potentially may take at 1.02. I w- nothing would surprise me with, with what he does. Um, I, you know, so th- that'd be interesting. He just got me more excited about more in the event that he doesn't take him, but <laughs> I, yeah. So, so I think that's the first thing I'd also agree with Mark on, on taking Zeke um, for what it's worth with the 23 million, just the the share of offense that I, I feel like he's going to have this season is enormous. And, you know, with the running backs, you can kind of take that, t- you know, that week by week approach. Just just to give our, our listeners a little feel for who Mark currently has on his team in that league that I'm in with him. Um, he has he has Gurley who expires at the end of 18 on a on a rookie deal of 1.01, um, about 7.5 million. He has that uh, that extension option you know the fifth year option i think is about 19 million he's got his other running backs dante foreman who you know probably will start the year on pup Devonte booker is in, in a positional battle to start in denver he's got Devonte adams locked up through 2021 at 17 and a half million this year um acquired a trade he's got godwin for four you know through 2020 this year at 840k paul richardson another guy he kind of signed cheaply at you know as part of the auction um, for, for less than the league minimum this year at 480. See how he does in Washington. Um, someone Mark that points to Mark's analytics last year, I think, of just kind of trusting talent versus situation. Um, Adam Thielen, Mark had um, put signed a two year, $15 million contract last year. Player I liked, and and kind of like having already had Stefan Diggs, I kind of took a step back, and I think that was one of you know, the driving forces in Mark winning the league last year in spite of his franchise player, Odell Beckham Jr., who he extended, you know, during the season for is now through 2021 at 26.3 million. And then looks like as of now, Mark's franchise tagging the Jacksonville defense, who was, you know, in our league, like a top 10 scorer overall would, you know, would just kind of amazing in, in that dynamic. So 
and Mark's got Buku cap space to go after some of the premium free agents this year. He has, and he has the second pick in the draft via trade. You know, one thing I want, I do want to talk about with you, Mark, is you know, what advice do you have about trading with rivals? You and I, you know, are like the fiercest rivals in, in this league. We've been playing fancy together, you know, long before RSO was created. Since you know, Chris Carter was doing first down signals and hunting your dreams then, and Randy Moss hunted mine with like a phantom twenty yards that happened overnight after the game ended. And you know, we'll get some more stories in a minute. In a minute, but. You know, some people are so stubborn about trading with people that, you know, who they're trying to overcome in the league. And and I feel like, you know, we've made a, a fair bit of trades. You've made some a, a fair amount of trades with your other main rival in the league. You know, what would you, what do you say about that? Like, wh- how do you think those things come to pass when, you know, we're trying to knock each other's heads off, basically? Well, I think that I would I try not to have an ego about trades. I try to evaluate it on its face and not get caught up in the like, um, you know, ma- ma- you know, machismo of it. Like, I want to win, and if there's a chance to improve my team now and/or in the future, I'll trade with anyone. Um, you know, I have a I would say probably a better trading relationship with some owners than others, and I think that also comes through. Uh, friendship, but also just like be a fair trader. I know that I've won some, but I've lost plenty. And and I feel like, you know, like your reputation in the league means something, right? And it's like, if you're the guy that's always sending low ball offers, like what he wants any part of, of uh, what you bring. But if you are constantly trying and win-win scenarios, like, you know, you and I had a deal last year, Matt, where I traded you Allen Robinson which ripped my heart out because I love the guy. Um, he was, you know, the draft pick I was the most proud of. Uh, but it allowed me to dump a couple dead contracts team. It uh, it gave me the second pick in this year's draft. So it helped me um, last year while A-Rob was sitting out recovering from the knee. And it's going to help me this year with the draft pick. Um, you get a great player, you know, like – that trade helped me win the championship last year and will help me with the pick this year, but it also is giving you a super stud wide receiver on a really good contract. Honestly, that's the kind of deal I would rather make. If you get the rep as like screwing other owners, it catches up to you. And I would rather try to find deals that are good for both sides so that we can continue to trade in years to come. There's so much that that's so well said. And and I think, Matt, you're right to bring it up. And I think you and Mark illustrate this. Like some of my favorite trades have been with rivals because I know that they're they're oftentimes they're gonna be a smarter guy in the room than me. They're gonna win the trade, so to speak. But like I know that they're willing to sit at the table to work it through, and I know that they've thought about it, engaged in it, and like frankly, that's why all of us come to the table for fantasy. We're trying to win, but we're we're trying to play the game in the right way, I hope, like for for much of this. So um that, you know, we've got two old friends here. All of us have war stories. I think it would be fun to hear uh, a particularly fun one from you two. Do you have anything that you could like, like a funny note that you can send us out on, like a, a particularly bad beat or a good story for 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 those of us uh, that are are listening to your friendship of, of a couple decades? I don't know, Matt. Do you have any bad beats at my hands? <laughs> I have two within three weeks in 2015. I think <laughs> you you want you want to start it. You tell us. You're the one that has the memory like an elephant. Uh, yeah, I, I know. I, I do sometimes. Um, well, I, I think I wrote about it in, in pretty good you know, detail a few years ago. But I'll, I'll kind of – now that everyone kind of has a voice behind the words, uh, talk about – so a few years ago in the playoffs, Mark, Mark and I were, you know, on a collision course and, and played each other in the semifinals of the playoffs – my team, I had, you know, Russell Russell Wilson, A.J. Green, Rob Gronkowski, Devontae Freeman in kind of his, you know, stud year. Um, I think I had Golden Tate, T.Y. Hilton, a really deep team. Mark had a lot of studs too. Um, and, like you know, Odell Beckham Jr. still. He had Anto- Antonio Brown. Um, just really good team and kind of the market was the defending champion and and i was trying really hard to beat him and we were in the playoffs and we were in a monday night game that came it was the lions against the saints and um mark had tim hightower 
who was kind of free agent doing you know picked up in the middle of the year like was doing fairly well and i had golden tate we were in a really tight game like for instance a lot of crazy theatrics happened like even the the sunday the day before that was the game that odell beckham jr probably should have gotten run from for fighting with josh norman he didn't he he scored a late touchdown mark also told me he had dropped like a long bomb early in the game that probably would have been a touchdown. There was a lot of dynamics that were going back and forth and Russell Wilson hung three touchdowns on the Browns. So just kind of a really crazy game. And, you know, with us being on the West coast, get, well, I think Mark was on the East coast then in DC, but me being on the West coast, I was racing home to, you know, basically watch this game, you know, with like, basically I thought the winner of this game would be the fantasy champion. It was kind of like that vibe. And, you know, we, we were really close and, and got game started. Golden Tate, I think, scored two touchdowns in the game. Was doing really well. I built a little bit of lead. Like, my kids were my, – my son was watching. Like, Mark's daughter was watching and rooting for – they didn't even know what they were rooting for. But, like, I think both of us were talking to each other the whole game. And some other people from the league started, like, pinging us about what was going on. And it got to a point where there was about five minutes left, and I was clinging to a very small lead. And, you know, probably, like, a point or so and Hightower like the last five minutes of the game the way the game script was going Golden Tate didn't wasn't really getting the ball and and Hightower wasn't either because the Saints were the Saints were behind and I basically sweated out the last five minutes of the game and Hightower didn't get any any activity the Saints like through an incomplete pass like with like six seconds left and then they had the ball at their own 30, and they were down eight. So they basically needed to hail Mary. And at that point, Mark pinged me on Gchat and said, you know, congratulations, good luck in the finals. You know, maybe trying to ho- hope for like a last-ditch effort of some reverse psychology. And the, the next play, um, Drew Brees threw a dump-off pass to Hightower, Tim Hightower, and um, Mark won the game by four points. And... Um, I mean, Tim Hightower almost fumbled on that play too, which was, would have been negative five. So that, so there was kind of the whole roller coaster of emotions in that game, and and Mark went on to win the cha- the championship back, you know, be the first time person to win back to back, and I think almost any league I've ever been in. And I, I I beat Steven in the in the third place game, but you know, like that game just still. I mean, I wrote about it for RSO then, like still stings with me, especially because a few weeks prior, Mark beat me by a quarter of a point on a walk off CJ Anderson touchdown against my Patriots defense on a Sunday night. So well, like that- you know, within three weeks, I just like was totally crushed and devastated and. You know, I, I mean, of course, losing to an awesome competitor, but probably with my best team that I had. And I, you know, I've had some injuries the last couple of years. I haven't like sniffed his high air. But um, Mark, what 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 do you have to add to that? Like, throw some salt in my wounds. I honestly felt kind of bad about that one. <laughs> it was such a stupid play by the Saints. They needed eight points, and they had to go seventy yards, and they threw. You know, a little dump off, meaningless dump off to Tim Hightower. He had to score. I don't know why he went down with the ball. They needed to score. Why didn't he lateral? Like, he didn't fumble, but he almost did. And frankly, he should have because he should have been lateraling. None of it made any sense. I was actually in Chicago visiting my parents, my daughter, and uh, she was up way past her bedtime. I think she heard me cheering downstairs or something. And she, like, downstairs out of bed and was watching the end of the game with and she like has never really had much of a connection to football until that moment was just like losing her mind just like your son was sitting on the couch yeah my kids were chanting golden tape yeah yeah and my daughter couldn't pick you know tim hightower out of uh, a lineup um (laughs) but that night she was tim hightower fan And, and that's just like reflective of like the random and sometimes cruel nature of fantasy, right? Like it came down to a meaningless dump off to Tim, you know, and um, we've had many great and we'll have many more, but that one sticks out as uh, I, I definitely got lucky on that one. Yeah. I think, I, real quick, Luke, before you, you 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 get going on this, like I think the hardest part about a league like RSO, where you're you're developing, building these contracts over time, is once you kind of hit the window where you're like, this is my chance. I, I have this teed up on a silver platter, and now you know I'm going to the ship and and all that, and especially be, you know beating a, a 
team, you know, an owner who I have a lot of respect for, a great friend and just a great competitor. Like once you lose that, then it's like, then you start taking inventory. It's not like you question what you could have done differently because you probably started your optimal lineup anyways. But those close moments in RSO just, you know, those linger, like the hardest part for me about RSO is when this, this season ends is just a, the set very sad, you know, especially when you lose like that. You know, one of the things I love about the RSO platform um, and, and Steven and those guys were brilliant in in creating it is that you really have to think about how much should you be head up and how much should you be head down? How much should you be thinking about this year versus future? And you're always trying to find that balance between how, how can I be great this year and win this year? Cause that, of course, that's the reason we play, but then how can I set, you know, the stage and really set myself up to be successful in future years too? And how do I manage those two things at the same time? It's really the, the I find endlessly fascinating about RSO. Absolutely. And I mean, you talk about the cruel and seemingly random nature, but now that we know about your unprecedented digital access to the players, perhaps you were in the helmet of Drew Brees, just chuck it down, <laughs> chuck it down to Hightower. Um, but nonetheless, guys, it's honestly, I, I'll leave it to you to get you to say goodbye. But Mark, it has been an absolute pleasure to sit and hear from you and to like, and to get the, the vision of what's coming to us in the future from the NFL you are a busy man with far more responsibility than, than Goody and I bear at the moment, and I really appreciate you taking time out of that schedule um, to come talk to us on All About Reality. And uh, good luck to you. Keep keep roughing up my co-host so we can hear have more good st- more good stories in the days to come. And you're welcome back whenever you want to come. My pleasure, guys. Happy to come on anytime. I've loved the loved the chat, and uh, you know, happy to support the pod and so platform. Uh, th- yeah, th- thanks again, Mark. Um, I-, I think what what I do want to say, tease for our listeners, is you know some listeners have asked about coming on the podcast, and it's something we're moving towards. Obviously, Mark, with you know with the interesting job you have, and um, you know sharing those details for you know lots of interested parties, as well as your RSO experience in in being a strategic and really good owner. We appreciate you coming on. We'll have many more strategic owners, I think, come on um, and talk about their leagues. I think because you know we are a user-based platform, so we appreciate that. First, but before you sign off, Mark, once again, can you tell everybody where where they can find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Mark Pesavento, and you'll find me at Fantasy Doc Ock. That's D O C O C. And then you can find me at Matt Goody too. Until next time, this is the All About Reality Podcast.